I was. And uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different, certainly different for me. Uh, those of you who come here, have come here for a while, you know what my, uh, well, what my strengths are. And what I prefer to do is to teach or preach even expositorily. That means, expositorily, that means I, I take a passage of Scripture and we dig some truths out of it rather than uh, topically where I choose something and we bounce all around the scripture. I'm not opposed to doing that, and there's, certain, there's not a wrong or right way. I'm always just more comfortable sticking with a text, and if I bounce around, it's to find supporting texts for the main text. And I really don't have a main text tonight. I've got a topic that I just want to I want to spend some time encouraging you. I've, we, we did this last week where, where I kind of uh, spent the time of the message encouraging you, but with the goal of preparing you uh, to receive healing, right? We had, a, we had a prayer line for the sick, and that's not what this is about tonight. I just want to acknowledge, and I know I, this isn't something that the Spirit revealed to me in a vision or anything like that. I know from conversation uh, that many of you are struggling with many different things. Uh, it's a, I know it's a busy, busy time. There's a lot going on, and some people are just worn down. And, uh, but I know, I know, you know, that the, the, the Berkeys were, you know, it was quite a, it was quite a, uh, siege there, quite a, a vigil. Uh, a lot of people praying and believing for Terry and you, you hate to lose a battle like that. You know, we, we lost Elmer and, and that's tough. That's tough. Even, even somebody who is, uh, full of years, it's always tough to lose a faithful, uh, brother like that. And, uh, and, and I know there's, there are people with, there are financial struggles, there are relationship struggles, there's family struggles, and of course, the, there, there are people who have, have shared with me, they're having, you know, even, even if it's just a cold, you know, it seems to linger and hang on, and, uh, we gotta keep fighting, right? Uh, anybody know what Pastor Hagen's motto is? Pastor Ken, Ken Hagen? She's, it's pretty famous, if you know, if you've ever been to any of his meetings, you've heard him say it. What's that? I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. And I like that. I like it because biblically that's right. He, you know, the Bible tells us, you know, thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph, uh, who always gives us the victory. That's his will for us. Uh, and yet we know it doesn't mean, uh, I, I, I don't know if I've shared this before and I got to be careful about stuff like this because a lot of it's just personal preference and I sure don't want to offend anybody who loves this stuff. Uh, but every now and then we'll sing a song that kind of, I'm rolling my eyes and I'll close my eyes before I roll them because I don't want to distract anybody. Uh, but there's a song and actually it's a decent song. There's just one part of it I don't like. And it's, it's the song Eagle Swings. Remember that song? And now I, what? Ride or fly. What do we say? Ride on eagle's wings. I'm soaring above everything that the devil had in store for me. And, uh, and flying through life, reigning like a king, soaring on eagle's wings. And I like the song because there's some, there's some truth to it. But the, the message that I guess the feeling I get is that if we're doing everything right, nothing bad will ever touch us. We don't go through anything. We just soar over it, right? We're just gliding through life, reigning like a king. Now, we have authority kingly authority that's that's from the word of god word of christ himself but the fact is kings fight battles too right uh, david one of the well the biggest mistake he made in his life was when he stayed home when he was supposed to be out fighting the time of the year when kings went out to war david didn't he stayed and just decided to glide through life reigning like a king and that's when he caught sight of bathsheba and really really made a mess of things uh 
And there are times because we are not perfect, and we're going to look at a passage of Philippians where Paul even says, man, I haven't even attained this yet. And he's not talking about a salvation, but, but we'll see what he's talking about. Uh, but because we are not perfected yet, uh, we are going to fall. That means we're going to lose a battle here and there. And, that, and that's, I don't believe this is part of God, the mysterious outworking of God's will. It's, it's our failure when we, when we mess up, certainly when that failure is sin, okay? God doesn't will us to fall in that area, but we do. But uh, we might as well start there. Proverbs chapter 24. You don't need to turn. I'm just going to read one verse, but you certainly can turn there. If you like to read along or if you just don't trust me. You can look at Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, which says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. And that word seven, that's not limited to seven. You know, it's it's kind of a representative number. It doesn't matter how many times. You can knock him down. You can lay in wait for him. You know, the warning there in context context is don't, don't, don't try to victimize the righteous man. Because even if you succeed, he will rise, but you will fall in your calamity if you're the evildoer. Um, but again, the, the righteous man is not judged for falling. He's praised for rising. Fall seven times, eight times, a hundred times. How many times shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times, up to 70 times seven. And I think that would be a valid, re, uh, you know, Maybe the message translation of that, a righteous man shall fall 70 times 7, uh, but shall rise again. you got to you know, pick, allow God to pick you up, rise in faith, and re-enter the fight, whatever your, your personal fight is. I want you to see something else here. It's, it's a little bit more of an obscure scripture. I believe we did look at it uh, many, many moons ago in our journey through the Bible, which we are still in on Sunday mornings, but back, uh, back when we were in Kings, Second uh, Kings chapter 13, this is when Elisha is getting ready to die. And Joash was the king of Israel. And remember, the kings of Israel uh, were pretty much all bad, but some were worse than others, all right? And uh, here's Joash who has really come to depend on the ministry of Elisha. And it says in verse 14, 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Now, keep in mind, uh, this, they were, if, if we look at this backwards, we remember that Israel, the northern kingdom, is going to be judged. And this judgment is going to come in the form of an, of an invading army. Not the Syrians, as it turns out, but the Assyrians. Uh, but they've got other battles to fight. And, uh, it always kind of depended on the heart of the king and the heart of the people to repent 
what's going to stay judgment, what's going to win them the victory or lose them the battle in, in any given circumstance. But he's sitting there, Syria was the threat at this time, and Elisha is just telling, he's going through this prophetic, uh, act these things out, shoot an arrow out the window, and this is what this symbolizes. This is the Lord's judgment. This is the, this is the Lord defending you. You must strike Syria, Right? Until you've destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, this is verse 18, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. That's a little bit of a strange uh, passage because he didn't tell him, strike it as many times as you think you should. He just said strike. And he didn't just strike it once. He struck it three times. But I think Elisha was kind of taking his temperature here. Let's see how passionate you are about this. This whole deal with the take your bow. And he puts his hand on his hand as he takes the bow. And he says, now take an arrow and shoot it out that window. And he did. He says, this is the arrow of the Lord. And he's going to, and you're going to strike Syria. Now take those arrows and strike the ground. It's kind of like this, pumping him up. And the king takes him, and Elisha's like, that's how passionate you are about this. If you had just given, shown me a little bit more that you were excited, that you were receiving this word from God, I said strike them till you destroy them. And you strike it three times, that's how many. And so they did. And they had three battles, and they won three battles. But they didn't destroy Syria. And I think there's, there's a message in there for us. You know, how many times are we going to try? How many times are we going to strike back when the enemy confronts us? Uh, in uh, First Peter, you, I didn't give you this scripture, sorry. In First Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 8, Peter writes, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, what's that mean? I mean, that would really say something else if it just says he, uh, your adversary, the devil, is walking around looking for somebody to eat. Uh, and he's looking for someone he may devour. And he says, you be sober, be vigilant. What Meaning, I mean, I think there's a clear uh, connection there. If you're sober and you're vigilant, you're on the watch, you're alert, he can't devour you. But we have to know he's out there. He's looking for a place to attack us, looking for an opportunity to attack us. So we've got to keep our guard up. Uh, and we've got to be, and this vigilance includes, uh, I guess I, I would call it a passion, an energy for the battle. And when you fall down, when things didn't work out this week, when you maybe look back at a battle you just faced and you feel like you lost it, and maybe you did, what are you going to do? Uh, because we've got options. We can walk away from this thing, but we'd be fools to. And I think sometimes, uh, man, there's so much stuff that I want to talk about, but I don't want to get too far ahead of where we are in the New Testament. But there, if you're Bible readers, you know there are passages that you come across, like in Hebrews, where you think, man, did I read that right? Does this mean if I sin after I get saved that I lose my salvation and can't be saved again? And it doesn't mean that. I'm a big believer in eternal security. Uh, but I don't believe it to the point that salvation can never be lost. All I mean is we do nothing 
as you ought to know, we're four, four messages into Romans, and Paul has already nailed down. Where does salvation come from? It comes from the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What is it? What does it take for mankind to be saved? Everything it took was what Jesus did at the cross. Our only part is to believe it. And once we make that confession of belief, that confession of faith in the finished work of Christ, we receive salvation. It's, but it's a decision. And so as, well, let me just read this scripture. That's a nice segue into this. In Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is the question we want to answer right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what can take us from God's hand? Nothing, but I do believe we can decide. Just as the only thing we can, that we have to do with our salvation is deciding to believe it and accept it and receive it, the only way we can lose our salvation is to decide to abandon it. Said all that to say, when we reach a point in the Christian walk where things are tough, and you start looking, uh, you, you start looking at the equation. And you start wondering. Well, look, I do believe the Bible, and I believe the devil's real. It's not a popular belief these days. We're an enlightened society, but if you're going to believe the Bible, you have to believe that. And you wonder, maybe if I weren't so dedicated to the cause of Christ, maybe the devil would leave me alone. We've talked about this a little bit before. You know, uh, I heard somebody say, on my very first mission trip to Mexico, I heard Bill Burton say this. He said, most Christians have made a deal with the devil. And that simple deal is, you don't bother me and I won't bother you. The, the problem with that is, there is way more to being a Christian than just being saved. In, in terms of what God has planned for us. The other problem with that is that the devil's not good at keeping his word. He's a liar. Now, I do agree, he's, gonna, he's probably going to pour more resources into, into those who maybe have the potential to do more damage. But believe me, when he gets around to it, when he can get around to it, <laughs> he will devour you if you allow him to. But we can look at this kind of coldly and say, maybe I can just kind of step out of the fight. I don't want to lay aside my salvation. I don't want to stand up and shake my fist at God and say, I no longer believe you. I still want my salvation. I just don't need the hassle of being a dedicated Christian. It's really not an option. It's not an option. And if we took that option, we would be so, so, so sorry. 
Because we are going to stand before our judge, who is our Lord, and who is our father and our friend. But we're going to stand before him someday and give an, and give an account for what we did with the years he gave us here on earth. And so he told us how to walk, told us how to live. And he promised us victory. He promised us joy. But he also promised us trouble. Now, he doesn't promise us failure. But the fact is, most of us will experience failure more than once in our lives. And this is where we talk, what are we going to do? Are we going to lay down? Or are we going to press on? Are we, are we going to stop? Or are we going to keep going? Are we going to, because if you quit, I mean, if, if, you, if you check out of this thing, that's quitting. But if you recognize that as long as you keep going, you can't lose. You can't be defeated. There's no reason to quit. There's none. Because the reward for staying the course is greater by several orders of magnitude than anything this world has to offer, than any, any sense of ease you're going to experience by ducking out of this. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In, uh, flip over to Galatians. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And finally, here's the passage. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to be done, but this is the last pas uh, passage of Scripture we're going to look at. In Philippians chapter 3. And this is a longer passage. Let me read the whole thing before I go back and say anything about it. Probably. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Didn't know people uh, were posting scripture in their yards, did you? Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. He's talking about those who are enforcing circumcision. Uh, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit Rejoice in Christ and in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so. Now he's going to list his bona fides here from, from the Jewish standpoint. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is, which is in the law, blameless. But what these, what these things were gained to me, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. 
Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now he makes that pretty clear there, doesn't he? He's, I said I was going to read the whole thing, but let me go ahead and stop here for a second. He is talking, and we've already run into this. We ran into it big time in the book of Acts. There was this huge problem in the early church where some of the earliest converts, who were mostly Jews, all those early converts, uh, the problem was then the religious leaders, those who were religious leaders who became converts to Christ, began insisting that everybody... kind of come into Jesus Christ through Jewish law. Uh, If you're going to be a Gentile, then you've got to be circumcised first, and then you can become a Christian. And there was a huge, huge uh, argument about this. I mean, they had to have a council to decide this right there in the book of Acts. They go to Jerusalem, they hammer it down, they say, no, you don't have to be circumcised. And so Paul keeps running into these these Judaizers who everywhere he goes, he runs into people, and and, and Galatians, you know, we're in Philippians now, but uh, Galatians... That's a whole letter about that, really. And, uh, but it really gets Paul's ire up whenever he talks about this stuff because he gets really frustrated that these guys come in there with this sense of self-righteousness. You should listen to us because we are Jewish Christians. Not only that, but we are high-ranking Jewish Christians. And so we have this rich history and this knowledge, and we, are, we, ca- we carry the mark of our covenant with God and its circumcision. If you want to be one of his, you got to be one of us, to borrow a phrase from Steve Taylor. And uh, Paul's like, no, the real circumcision, the only circumcision that matters is circumcision of the heart. It's this, this spiritual relationship we have with God. Now, they think they have something to brag about. If we're going to look at, uh, at the credentials, my credentials are better than theirs. A purebred Jew, I know my, I know my tribal lineage. I was a Pharisee. I was more zealous than they were as a Jew before I came to Christ. And yet those things, they don't count for anything. They're rubbish compared to what? Compared to this security I have, knowing that the the, the work, let me read this last part again in verse uh, 9, and be found in him, uh, back up to verse 8, yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. He says, I have traded this righteousness by the law for having righteousness that has nothing to do with me, but it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have to understand, this is the, and this is important to understand this, so that we understand what, what follows, because the, the next part kind of may, might make you go like that. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What? Because have you ever read that and think, is he saying, I'm just going to try my hardest and try my best and hope I get to heaven? Because that's kind of what it looks like. But that's not what he's saying. He's talking about being conformed to the image of the resurrected Christ. All right? Hang on. I'm not going to just bail on that. Not that I have already attained. Well, 
Now, see, if we'd just gone ahead to this verse, then that last verse might, might not have tripped us up because obviously he hasn't died and been resurrected yet. So that can't be what he's talking about. He's talking about achieving what? Christ-likeness. Walking in the same purity, the same passion, and the same power of Jesus Christ. His, his, his manifest righteousness. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as having apprehend, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if, anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. When he talks about attaining or apprehending, when he's saying, I don't count myself as apprehended, he is not, you had better believe, he's not saying, I'm not quite saved yet. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven, but I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep digging in and I'm going to keep moving forward in the hope that I just might be resurrected from the dead and be with Christ when I die. That's not what he's saying. He knows what's going to happen when he dies. He's talking about, can I walk daily more and more fully in the life that Christ has for me here and now i'm going to the, the call this upward call this when he says that i may lay hold of that for which christ laid hold of me christ laid hold of paul not for heaven every believer and when i say heaven i mean life with god when we die eternal life with a capital l that's not what he means when he says that's what, what, what the purpose for which Christ laid hold of me. What, the, what was the purpose? He tells us, I'm going to show him. I'm going to bring you before great men. I'm going to show you what things you're going to suffer for my namesake. He, he laid hold of Paul to turn the world upside down. He laid a hold of Paul to absolutely transform the Gentile world. Now, it was the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit that did it. But he did it through Paul more than any other individual after the ascension. Didn't he? The most effective missionary. The letters he wrote that we're reading right now are our New Testament, a good chunk of it. That was the purpose. And Paul says, I'm not going to stop this. Now, there's a lot. There's, and, he, and he lists, there's some things he went through. If uh, I, I, We're not going to do it tonight because there's something else I want to do. But you go back in the, when his letters to the Corinthians, when he talks about the things he suffered as a result of his dedication to this pressing on. And even then he says, ah, these things, I don't count them worthy of being uh, compared with the good things that God has laid up for me. So he's saying, read this last part again, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, uh, if anything you think otherwise, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. In other words, we should all be getting better in terms of what we know. Uh, but to the degree that we've gotten there, let's walk in that. Let's be an example to one another. Let's be an example to those who have not attained it to the degree that we have. And let's continue to press on. And that means we can't quit, right? I said something to the guys last night that I'll share with you. Let me make sure I've said everything else I need to say. I think I have. Which was, uh, 
Do you remember in uh, early chapters of Acts when Peter and John, they were walking up to the temple and they healed the lame beggar at the gate beautiful. How many of you remember that story? They're walking up there and there was a guy lame from birth, right? Am I remembering that right? He, uh, and and they, they used to, some guys would carry him and set him there on the steps of the, of the, the porch so that he could beg. And Peter and John are walking up into the temple and they see him and Peter says, look at us. And he looks thinking they're going to give me something. He says, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. I'm going to give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And he grabs his hand and he pulls him up. And this guy goes walking and leaping and praising God. And everybody in the temple's like, this is the, this is the guy. He's sitting here every week. We always see him. He's walking now. How did this happen? And Peter, and they're looking at Peter and John. How did you do this? And Peter uses this as an opportunity to preach this great sermon. 2,000 people come to Christ as a result. Then they're hauled before the religious authorities, headed by the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. And the main point was that Peter was making was, the reason we were able to heal this guy was through the power of Jesus Christ, who you crucified, but God raised from the dead. And they're like, whoa, you can't be preaching the resurrection in here. And Peter's like, you're telling me I can't preach this? This guy's walking now. How are you going to argue with that? And it says that the leaders then, uh, noting, noticing, recognizing the confidence in Peter and John, recognized that they had been with Jesus. That is a cool thing for people. And and is it possible for people to look at us and say, they've been with Jesus? Here was the point I made with, if I remember how I put this last night. The point I made was these guys had been with Jesus. How long had they been with Jesus? Three years, right? For about three years, these guys went everywhere with Jesus. But the vast majority of the time they were with Jesus they were also with each other. I'm not saying that Jesus never had one-on-one conversations. I am saying that they went. It was a group. And it wasn't just the 12. It was 120 of them. So when they were with Jesus, they were with each other. Today, because you're the body of Christ and I'm the body of Christ, when we're with each other, we're with Jesus. Does that mean you can't be alone with Jesus? No. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that goes for you if you are in solitary confinement. But if you're not, you need to make every effort to be with the rest of the body. I know people have had powerful, what some people would call mystical experiences. And I don't mean that in a, in a pagan sense. I just mean people have had tangible experiences, visions, where you can literally feel the power of God. But I remain utterly convinced that the most scriptural way and most important way we are going to see Jesus and experience Jesus is when the body is gathered. So that's the final ingredient that I'm going to share with you tonight. Man, you need to stay in the scriptures, be encouraged by God's history, by his faithfulness, by the commands to press on, to stay the course, uh, Reminding yourself that he's given, given us the victory, right? Knowing that better men and women than us uh, have fought these same battles and the fact that we're facing hardship does not mean, doesn't make us a failure. 
We can't be defeated, so let's don't quit. But one of the biggest things we need to do is be with each other because it's the presence of Jesus that's going to take us over. And we are really not going to be in the presence of Jesus if we are not in the presence of his body. Now, what I want to do right now, I know this is, this is not a new song or anything, uh, but I hear it every now and then, and it always just kind of encourages me. We're just going to play this song. You can sit there with your eyes closed and listen to it, or you can, we've got the lyrics up. They're pretty easy to understand, but you can read along with it. It's a song by Selah called Press On. I don't know how many of you know this song. Pretty song, but listen to it and be encouraged, and then I'll have some closing remarks. Press on. 
Amen. If I'd have known what I was preaching before tonight, Sherry, I would have just had you saying it. Stand up with me. We don't have praise and worship team. Are you coming up here? Are we just doing a CD if we have some music here? I'm just going to do a real quick invitation uh, before we dismiss. The message of pressing on, staying the course, staying in the fight is a message for the believer, right? We who have received the great gift of salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we've been given the weapons, we've been given the armor, we've been given the power. We just, we live in physical bodies in a sin-sick world and things get tough sometimes. We should be there for one another but we have to decide to stay in this thing for the sake of one another and our own sake. So my encouraging word for you, as we're going we're gonna to close, we're going to play some music here. Just be encouraged. I'm not going to have an altar call to lay hands on you for this. This is not a, again, not a healing service or anything. I just want you to receive from God himself. I believe you have just from his word tonight. But for the unbeliever or the person who is uh, still contemplating Christianity, I want to invite you into this thing. This is the life, you know, when Paul talked about laying hold of that for which Jesus Christ laid hold of me, that laying hold of, when Jesus Christ laid hold of Paul, he saved him, but he saved him for a purpose. We were all, every one of us has a God-given purpose. The book of Ephesians uh, states, it, uh, states it like this, that there is a lifetime of good works that God has laid out before us that we should walk in. Not, because, not to earn our salvation, but that's the path that God sets us on when he saves us. Now, can life be enjoyable? Absolutely it can. Can sin be pleasant? Yes, it can. But it leads to destruction and pays wages, pays its wages in death. We were created for God's purposes. I mean, we can never experience those, experience those purposes, his purpose for our life, without confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, believing that God raised him from the dead. What else? That's it. That's salvation according to the Bible. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. So my question as we get ready, we'll just, I'm going to pray a prayer. We'll play this song until, and we don't need to play the whole thing. I'll give you, you can just cut it off whenever. Uh, if you want to give your heart to Christ tonight, I encourage you to do that. But I encourage you to come up here. Let me pray with you. I'll lead you in a simple prayer. Uh, and uh, maybe we start you on that path, start you on the, on the purpose that God has for you. And guess where that path ends? In the presence of God for eternity. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for laying hold of us for your purposes and help us to press on toward the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Help us to walk daily and daily more conformed in the image that you have for us, the image that you've given us in the life of Jesus Christ. Help us to see him more clearly and imitate him more perfectly. I also pray, Lord God, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who does not know you as Father, does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that you would convict them of their need for salvation tonight and grant them the humility, the wisdom, the boldness, everything they need to come and receive that free gift of salvation tonight. Now, in Jesus' name, all the believers said, Amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks for listening. 
We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. We'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org.